Are you on your wit's end at your current job? Do you feel that you've reached your personal and professional potential within the framework of your 9 to 5? Are you looking for a new challenge? Do you feel as though you put your professional career over your personal aspirations and ambitions? And do you want to shift that mindset? If any of the probing questions I just finished posing to you strike a chord within your personal well of thinking you're not alone. According to Zipia, a staggering 77% of employees have experienced burnout in their current job. Meanwhile, 72% of job seekers say that work-life balance is essentially important when choosing a new job. And 57% of potential job seekers say that poor work-life balance is a deal-breaker when choosing whether or not to return or enter into the workforce. For my friend Sheena Lance Nold, she says that your life happens outside of your 9-to-5 and your goals should too. She's a behavioral change specialist with a passion for helping professionals who believe in living and working within alignment with your values. As a coach, she's here to help you achieve all of your goals without feeling the effects of burnout. Her unique background in health and wellness coaching, talent development, meditation, and mindfulness, and formal international coach federation approved coach training, it's safe to say that she has plenty of experience during her 20 professional years in coaching in every aspect of life. And she joined me this week to have a conversation about living a more balanced life, claiming your own definition of prosperity, and living within an inclusive and accepting work and life culture. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. take a moment to welcome you to the program and I'm 
super excited to learn how to help people and organizations live a more balanced life. Great to see you and happy Friday to you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So, Sheila, I want to start our conversation by asking you about uh, one Mother's Day assignment that your son brought home where you realized that your work-life balance had to shift. So I'm wondering if you can tell me all about it. Yeah, so this was... Oh, maybe 2018, I think it was. My son was in pre-K and he brought home a Mother's Day assignment. And, you know, they always have these like fun little phrases and sayings. And on the paper, I actually kept it. It's in my purse just as a daily reminder. But on the assignment at the bottom of it, it said, my mom is happiest when. And the teacher had marked out when with a black Sharpie and wrote on the line, nothing. She's nothing makes her happy. And I was just, I was shocked. I was just like in shock when I saw that. But it was, it was, you know, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. But yeah, at the moment it was, it was a pretty big shock. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wanted to also talk to you a little bit about, uh, before we get into what you do to help people live a more balanced life, I wanted to ask your opinion on managing mom guilt. Because, you know, so many mothers put so much on their plate, but they don't uh, sometimes feel their cup of both happiness and satisfaction. So tell me, how do you think moms can uh, navigate mom guilt successfully and also live the life that they want to live as well? Oh, that's such a great question. And I think, I think really what that assignment honestly did for me is it made me check myself a little bit in the fact that the reason the reason that my son had this perception of me was because I was not pursuing joy for myself. I was um I was uh falling into the myth of motherhood martyrdom is what I call it. Right? Like we we put ourselves in this situation to kind of give to everyone else until our cup is empty. Um, so in terms of what I started doing is I really started setting boundaries and having really honest conversations about what I needed. And I started looking, I'm also a behavior change specialist. So I started implementing a lot of what I do with clients just in how can I infuse joy throughout my day? It doesn't have to be anything really major, but how can I just take 10 minutes for myself? Uh, a practical example of how I did this was just listening to music. I love music. I love all kinds of genres of music. So listening to music in the shower, when I was working on a project, listening to music, um, but yeah, I think it's a really important topic, and it's definitely a topic that I am very passionate about. Yeah, I can certainly relate uh, to you, Sheena. So I'll tell you a quick story. So I was mm -hmm. born with what's called um, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. Uh, mm -hmm. sim simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally. But one of the things that I live my life by is the saying, always act active and you know what that means to me is no matter what what i'm doing throughout the course of the day uh i always try try to set aside 10 minutes in my day to be physically active mm -hmm. because it's the way that i connect with myself so it's important to find that space to connect with yourself individually isn't it, it yeah i love i love that you mentioned that because i think so many people also 
um, really overestimate what's required, right, to get the benefits of that. So just that 10 minutes a day is so valuable and so beneficial when it comes to a really simple way that, I mean, I love how you phrase that too, just like connecting with yourself. There is so much involved and I'm not going to get into all the psychology of it because we don't have time for that today. Um, but there is so much involved in how that physical movement really does benefit literally every single area of your life. So I'm, I'm so happy to hear that that you make that a priority. Yeah, and it also benefits your mental health too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It increases your focus. It increases productivity. Um, I work with a lot of leaders on stress management and just the that ability to take that time um, really it really does create positive effects in in every area of your life. It makes your personal and professional relationships better. It makes your your work better um, in whatever it is you're focusing on. It really does improve every single area of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Sheena, you said that your life happens outside of your nine to five, so your goals should too. So I'm wondering if you can dive into that philosophy for me and what that means to you. Yeah, I would love to. So um, I think that so many people who are career or professionally driven, um, and, and I had this experience too, that this was part of the experience with my son, was I got so focused on my job and I was very driven professionally. I still am very driven professionally, but it was at the expense of hobbies and personal goals and things that I wanted to do for myself, like write a book, which I'm in the process of doing right now. And so when I say life happens outside the nine to five and your goals should too, it's really about helping people identify how to make space and prioritize what's most important to them. And I think, um, you know, society, it's really challenging to make your priorities the focus because we we should ourselves to death, right? We talk about like what I should be doing, what people expect me to do. Instead of really focusing on what we want to do and prioritizing, you know, our goals as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about uh, creating a roadmap to prioritize those priorities and really putting ourselves first, whether it be in work, life, or play, play outside of work. What do you think is the key to constructing a, a consistent roadmap? I love that question. Um, so with my clients, I usually focus on a process with them to do exactly what you just said. So we really start by getting clear on values. Most people don't actually know. They don't take the time to really figure out what their values are. So we start by clarifying values. What's most important to you? I use a tool that I learned in my coaching certification program that's pretty common in coaching called the Wheel of Life. So with the Wheel of Life, we look at what are your priorities, and then I focus on values-based goals with my clients. So it's what area of this wheel do you really want to focus on right now in your life? It doesn't mean that we can't you know, focus on other things, but right now, what's the top priority for you? And then how does this positively impact other areas of your life? Um, and then how does it potentially conflict, right? So going back to that example of if you have, um, right now I'll use, I'll use myself as an example. I have some goals for myself in my um, coaching and consulting business, which is not my full-time job. And I love my full-time job. I don't have a goal of getting away from my nine to five. My full, my full-time job is something that I really love. And I, I feel like there's a lot of value in what I do there. But I also want to focus on my coaching business. 
I'm also a mom of two small children. So I want to be there for my kids. So when we're looking at goals, we want to look at how does this affect other areas of your life? And what are you willing to really sacrifice in order to achieve this goal? So I'm willing for it to take longer to finish my book because I'm not going to be hyper-focused on just the book while sacrificing time with my family and time with my children. So it's really looking at what are those priorities? What are your values? Setting values-based goals. And then um, from that, we can set habits and behaviors that are sustainable. So again, my background in behavior change really allows me to help clients identify. Most people underestimate what they can do in the long term and overestimate what they can do in the short term. Right. So we think, oh, I'm going to do all these things. And then we don't do any of it and we get super frustrated versus looking at, okay, over the next five years, here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I want to start with this quarter. And this is something that is realistic and sustainable for me based on the other priorities that I have in my life right now. And then we just go back to reevaluating are we still in alignment? Are you in alignment with your values? Are you in alignment in what's most important to you? And, and that's really how my coaching programs work. Yeah, and I also know that you have a background in fitness, uh, well-being, and meditation, and yoga. So how do you think that is uh, interconnected to business success? And going back to what we talked about earlier, how important do you think it is that people really prioritize their physical and mental well-being as well? I, you know, it's really exciting to be in a time where organizations are are really getting behind wellness and getting behind the the whole concept of wellness. So, um, newer studies are are coming out that show that more active employees and employees who really prioritize their health and wellness have less sick days. They're more productive. They are um, more likely to be more collaborative on the job. So there are just so many ways that they can that you can really focus on that from um, an employment standpoint. And I think that what we really saw with COVID, the, I guess what I would call like the silver lining of COVID is um, that we can think about how we look at work differently. We can prioritize the whole person. When we look at our employees, we can really prioritize like, you know, today I had the ability to work from home, which was great because my kids are out of school. So, you know, as a mom, as a working mom, that makes it a lot easier for me to be able to show up fully at work when I have the ability to really navigate around my life and my schedule for that. Um, and so I think it's really great to see a lot of employees, um, employers really in uh, investing in wellness initiatives and programs for their employees to make it easier and more accessible for employees to focus on their health. And, and on this question, I want to go back to the previous comment I made about it doesn't take it doesn't take a lot, right? It doesn't take a lot of effort. So one of the things that I really talk to my leaders about is if you're in a stressful situation, one of the most valuable things that you can do, like in between meetings, whenever you have a break on your lunch, whenever it is, take five minutes and go outside. Just get some fresh air, go for a short walk, do something to remove yourself from that stressor, which is work, which is the office. Remove yourself from that stressor. And it's amazing how much that can really bring those stress levels down, engage the parasympathetic nervous system, um, and get us out of that fight or flight state, which which long-term has some massive negative effects on our health. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Shida, you talk about investing in 
people. And, you know, outside of hosting this podcast, one of my uh, passion projects and one of the things that I uh, do professionally outside of hosting this podcast is helping organizations really infuse the benefits of hiring folks with disabilities into their workforce. So I'm curious to ask you about uh, your thoughts on the benefits of hiring people with uh, disabilities and the approach that HR professionals have to take about really re-evaluating the the way that they look at uh, talent uh, acquisition and management as well. Yeah. So I think when I think about this from both a talent acquisition and a talent development standpoint, I wrote a post on LinkedIn a few months ago, and the caption of it was, diversify your feed to expand your perspectives. And I think that anytime we can get outside of our own situation, outside of our own circumstances, it really creates an opportunity to learn from others, which can increase our levels of empathy, of understanding, of compassion. And I think that those are such important qualities for leaders. But even from more of a like a practical standpoint, from a community standpoint, if you think about, you know, when um, handicap ramps are were first, you know, implemented with with some of the law changes there, while they were created primarily for people who were in a wheelchair, look at how many people today benefit from ramps, people that, you know, parents with small children in strollers or delivery folks who are, you know, pushing a trolley or individuals traveling with a suitcase. There are so many people who don't necessarily have um, a disability or a handicap that are actually benefiting from some of those situations. Another specific example I'll use, and and I, um, I benefit from this all the time, is closed captioning, right? So most of the time I won't listen to a video, I'll watch the closed captioning. So I think that there are so many things that if we just created those opportunities, um, we're not actually serving a small population. We're serving a very vast population in many different ways. When we look at how can we create more inclusive workplaces, and especially as a learning and development professional, I'm building curriculum, right? I'm building courses. So I really have to think about with e-learning and things like that that we're working on, how do we really make this accessible to someone who maybe English isn't their first language or, um, you know, someone who has various different situations going on and looking at how can we create different resources, different opportunities? How can we really change how we're delivering this content? Even, I mean, even if you look at the the um, length of content, right? Many people cannot pay attention to something for, for a long period of time, including myself. Me so, too. <laughs> So now, you know, micro learning has created the opportunity. Okay, give me two, a two minute bite sized piece of information. Let me go implement it and apply it. And then I can come back for more when I need it. So I think it, I think that really expanding how we, how we look at um, organizational development, how we look at really our entire workforce and, and doing as much as we can to um, create opportunities for our entire workforce to thrive and make it easier to do their jobs. I always say at work, my job is to make your job easier. You know, that's what I'm here to do. So I think it's really important. And and quite honestly, I think that the companies that aren't prioritizing and focusing on that 
are going to find it really challenging from a talent development perspective in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. And hiring uh, people with disabilities also creates a competitive advantage for organizations, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the other thing, we've had a lot, we've had this conversation a lot, even when you look at interviewing and some common interviewing practices and standards or expectations that you would have for an employee that would show professionalism, um, is it actually is not necessarily going to tell you who the best candidate is for the job because you're potentially going to cut out a group of people or a population of people um, that do communicate differently, right? Than than we do, um, than than like whoever the interviewer is. So just being aware of those things, I think that it's as a leader, and I think anyone in organizational development, talent development, leadership. It's really our responsibility to continue growing and learning ourselves, checking our biases, having people that can really um, bring that up to us and, um, you know, lovingly, you know, call us out sometimes on on practices that we have or things that may not necessarily be in alignment with growing in that space of being more inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, another topic I wanted to touch on with you today is the idea of employee engagement and really engaging your employees to be invested in the process of uh, progress. When you really invest in your people as leaders and really show them that you're invested in themselves personally, I really think their level of production and productivity is elevated. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My so my primary area of expertise is employee onboarding. And within onboarding, I often talk about and I didn't I didn't create these. Um, but the four C's of onboarding. So it's looking at compliance, clarity, culture and connection. And I think that, you know, when you look at like uh, recent Gallup studies, only 12% of employees say that they had a good, not great, a good onboarding. 75% of executives, including to a study by McKimsey, um, state that they uh, they had a, a, a really bad onboarding and like almost created a situation where they were like essentially set up for failure. So I think that starting with onboarding and making sure that you can help people understand how their role relates to the bigger picture. Um, I think that for a long time in the workplace, there was a lot of focus just around salary, right? And and money and like, you know, just continue paying people and they're going to be happy and they're going to come to work and they're going to do their job. And um, so many people, you know, that's that's not the priority anymore. Uh, my Myself included, yes, like I want to be paid well, but also having a sense of purpose and knowing that my work contributes to the vision of my company um, and that I have opportunities to grow, that I can really see myself, I can have a vision of how I'm going to grow with a company. I have opportunities given to me for growth. I'm, I'm given some direction in how I can grow outside of that. Um, so I think that it's really important to just look, look at, um, you know, look at the individual and really highlight with the individual, what are your goals? What do you want to do within your career? And how can I support you in that process? Um, and so that's what I work on a lot, especially with leaders when they're onboarding folks is how do you really create a situation where people can see themselves 
um, growing within the company. And then also recognizing we're in, we're in a workforce that is probably not going to be at the same company for 20 years. Like we've, you know, like we've been in historically. Um, so how can we make sure that people are, are still growing, having the opportunity to grow so that even if they're here for five years, the next place they go, they're going to feel like it was a valuable use of their time. They're going to feel like they, they learned some skills and they're going to speak really highly of that organization, even if they leave. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Sheena, one of the mottos that I live my life by, in fact, there's a sign in my office that says, inclusion is the gateway to independence. Because, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast and one of the reasons I have such a, a positive outlook on life is because I believe that everyone deserves a platform to tell, uh, to tell and share their stories. That's why I went into journalism. So when we talk about uh, workplace diversification, how do you uh, sort of define the word inclusion? Oh, that's a that's a great question. I think I, and the, again, this is not mine. This is, I heard this somewhere and I, I apologize. I can't remember where, so I can't cite the source, but I heard somewhere that, um, diversity is inviting people to the party, right? So everyone's invited. Um, and inclusion is it actually like welcoming everyone and everyone feeling like they have a place and they have a part to play at the party and everyone really enjoys themselves. There's nobody that feels left out at the party. I think when when I think about inclusion, it's it's creating that safe space where people can feel like they can bring their whole selves to work. They feel like um, it's an environment where, um, regardless of their race, religion, ethnicity, um, gender, um, ability. It, regardless of any, um, it, regardless of anything, right, that they're coming to the table with, they are going to be valued for exactly who they are, not in spite of anything about them. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Shana, I also wanted to talk to you about effective leadership, leadership for bosses. You know, at the end of the day, leadership, no matter at what level is a people business and really humanizing yourself as a leader goes a long way. So I'm curious to ask you about how do you think leaders can better humanize themselves to become better leaders? Yeah, I, <laughs> I think it's funny when we talk about that because, you know, there's that phrase, people don't leave companies, they leave leaders, right? They don't leave bad companies, they leave bad leaders. And I think that's so true because when, when I think about my experiences, the people that I've really, and, and I've always been a hard worker, but the people that I would really push for, the people that I wouldn't mind, you know, staying late, doing extra, going above and beyond, you know, all of that were the people that I felt really had my back. So I think it's starting with prioritizing people over profits. When you prioritize your people, um, and especially if you're in like a service-based industry, because your people are going to translate how they're treated to the customer. So I think if they're treated really well, if they're having fun at work, if they feel like they have friends at work, that shows through. And you can see that when you walk in somewhere, you can, if you go to Target, if you go, you know, anywhere, you can see if people enjoy their job, you can see, um, well, some people are really good at faking it, but <laughs> most of the time. 
most of the time you can really tell, right, if people are engaged in what they're doing. I think that going back to the whole concept of onboarding, you know, uh, depending on what study you look at, roughly at least 30% of individuals leave a job within their first six months. And a lot of that is related to not getting the support they need from their leaders. So I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier with really understanding what does this individual need to get up to speed and how to do their job. And when you create an environment of psychological safety, people are more likely to be vulnerable with you. They're more likely to share, I don't know exactly how to do this. Can you show me how? Or I messed up on this project and I'm not really sure what to do. And when they don't have that environment of psychological safety and when you have a workplace that, um, you know, people people are not rewarded for like coming forward and sharing mistakes and things like that, it, it creates a really toxic environment, especially for newer employees because they learn pretty quickly. I can't share when I do something wrong. I can't share mistakes. And from a from a company knowledge standpoint, there's so much over the years that's lost in that, right? Because you learn you learn more from mistakes than when things go perfectly, right? So I I talk to my leaders a lot about create an environment where it's safe to fail. Create an environment where you can have simulations or you can have case studies or scenarios where people can get the answer wrong. And it's not like they've messed something up. It's not like they've blown a budget. It's not like they've um, that, that there's a lot of, you know, negative consequences from that. It's literally a learning experience. Um, yeah. So I think that that's really the value of, of that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Sherry, you inspired me to ask this question a bit because I, I know your expertise is in onboarding. So when people are looking for a job, mm. you know, more and more, uh, company culture is uh, something that they place in high regard when they're evaluating whether or not to work for a company. So what do you think is the key to creating a great company culture to really attract the most elite talent? That's a great question. Um, I So what I would say is it starts with being honest about your company culture, quite honestly, because I think that going back to what I talked about before of people leaving in the first six months, it's typically because this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't I, I this is not what I thought it was going to be. So I think the first thing is being really honest about your company culture. If you have a company culture that doesn't value work life balance, don't say you value work life balance, like don't promote work life balance. Right. Because when people get in the door they're going to feel like they were duped and and not really told the true story of what it was to work at that company. So maybe you talk about we value performance and you have a lot of growth opportunity and talk about what an actual schedule is. So I think there are opportunities to build company culture, but that takes time and it takes a lot of energy and effort. So I would say today, right now, be honest about your company culture. If it's a work in progress, tell people that. If there are things that you're specifically focused on, and again, I think that you have to be strategic here, but but don't tell people something that you know is not the truth because you're just going to lose those people and then you're going to be rehiring for that role in in six months or less anyway. Uh, now, go yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say trust goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, so. I actually just went through this process. I just started a new job 
last June. And that was a big priority for me. So in the interview process, <laughs> I broke most of the interviewing rules, right? In the first, in the first conversation we had, I asked more questions than the hiring manager because I really wanted to identify, is this the right fit for me? I was interviewing them as much as they were interviewing me for this role. And company culture was the number one most important thing to me. So I want to I want to shift the question just a little bit and talk about like, how do you find a company that has a really good culture? It goes back to what we said before. What's most important to you? So yeah. is in, yeah, is income, is salary the number one for you? If it is, that's okay, right? That's okay. But you have to choose something that fits with your values. For other people, it's going to be company culture. For other people, it's going to be work-life balance. For other people, it's going to be flexible schedule. You need to know going into that process what's most important to you. And you need to be transparent to a degree. Again, it, it doesn't have to be in the first conversation like I did. Maybe not so, Um uh, but I think really being honest about like what you're looking for in an employer can go a long way. And then back to your original question, what can companies do to build a culture? I think it's identifying what do you want your culture to be? And then you have to take a really hard look at where are you now? What is the culture today? And then recognize that it's going to take some time and energy to shift that and focus on small goals, maybe quarterly goals of what do we really want to prioritize right now? I think that we've come a long way as an industry with employee engagement surveys, but there's a lot of value in simply asking people, what do you, th what do you think of working here? What can I do as, as your leader to make your experience better here? I think there's a lot of things that um, don't require a lot of time and energy to, as, a, as an individual leader to quickly shift company culture as a company, though, it, it takes a little bit more time and energy to create what that vision of culture is. And culture to me, it's not words like you feel culture. So it's when you know that you have a really good company culture, you don't have to tell someone the company culture. They tell you what it is before you even mention a word. Investing in your people goes a long way, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I'm, I'm curious because if you look at uh, studies today, you know, a lot of people have uh, more than one job in order to make ends meet and in order to stay afloat from a financial perspective. So I'm fascinated to get your perspective on how do we create uh, an effective side hustle if we need a second job in order to become financially sort of relevant without losing ourselves if we have to take on an additional work responsibility? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I've, I've always been someone who's had a, you know, <laughs> a quote unquote side hustle. Um, you know, when I was in college, I, I worked, I think, three jobs. And then I had, you know, another thing like on the side that I did randomly when I felt like it. I think that how I've I've shifted my focus and my priority specifically with my business now, which is new. I'm you know my my business is under a year old, and what I decided when I was growing my coaching and consulting business was I don't want to put a lot of financial pressure on my business. I am I'm a very passionate person. I like to be passionate about what I do. 
Um, and so being in a situation where, where I was putting a lot of like financial pressure on myself just isn't, that wouldn't be motivating to me. So I initially, when I started my coaching and consulting business, I was like, okay, I, I know this is going to take some time and energy and I have this much time. And so I just kind of prioritized what I was going to do in those specific moments, um, with the time that I had while looking at the big picture of my life and my values, going back to what we talked about earlier, um, but I think that a lot of people really had a wake up call with COVID. I know I did. I was furloughed um, and I was still kept on in my role, but my income was about, you know, 40% less than it was when I was working full time for a few months there. And, you know, I feel very fortunate and, you know, I'm going to call out, you know, my, my privilege here because I am a, uh, I am a, a, a cisgendered white female, um, who was, you know, working as a high level professional in a company. And I did not have the, the negative financial ramifications that a lot of people had, right. That didn't have the level of privilege that I have. And so I think through that such situation, I really decided that I don't want to be in a situation ever again, where my entire financial income is contingent upon a company and a company's financial standing or, you know, what's going on with a company. So going through that, I was like, okay, I, I know that I want to create something that is mine, that is, you know, on my own. Um, but I also, you know, really love my job and I love what I'm, I, I loved what I was doing, you know, specifically at that time. So I just started focusing on what can I do now that's going to really fill me up. That's going to give me love. Um, my motto, another one of my mottos is do more of what you love and less of what you don't. So it's like this last year has been a really big learning experience for me. Um, and so I think it's I think it's really about identifying what are you good at? What can you monetize? Um, and and a lot of it, honestly, is just taking the leap of faith. Like you're not going to get it perfect the first time around. And that's OK. Uh, I think you have to be ready to have a beginner's mindset and recognize everything is a learning experience. And every entre entrepreneur has been there, right? Everyone who's ever started a business has had some of those growing pains, has gone through those experiences of learning. And in every situation where you learn, it's a new skill that you're developing that's just going to serve you in the future. So take the leap. Be smart about it, but take the leap. Yeah, absolutely. You uh I miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Yes, yes, yes. Love that quote, too. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, Sheena, the few minutes I have left with you, I'm also curious to ask you about, uh, you, know, you know, avoiding burnout and really making sure that you're what I call your flame of desire or intrigue or interest remains lit because, you know, if you do uh, one thing at one job for a long period of time, there's more uh, uh, tendency to get bored or to get uninspired to come to work. So how do you uh, make sure that the flame of intrigue and interest is still lit? And how do you avoid burnout? It goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation, and it's really looking at your values. And it's many times when we feel burnout, we're not in alignment. We're not in alignment with our values. So to me, it's looking at my values. What's important to me? What am I not doing that I want to be doing? Where am I feeling that pull? 
and then shifting to get back to that. So um, I think another thing that's important to mention too, and this, this goes back to the whole like so many driven professionals um, really look at getting all of their fulfillment from their full-time job. So if there are things that you would love to do that you don't get from your work, that's where you can build your business, right? That's where you can have a side business. So if you love writing, can you write for leisure or can you write a, a book and can you monetize your writing? Can you write articles or blogs or, you know, can you do things that really help give you that passion and purpose if you're not getting it from your job right now? That said, I am also someone who cannot be, I cannot work full time. I cannot work 40 hours a week very long in a situation or an environment where I don't have a sense of purpose and passion. It's just, it's not aligned with who I am as a human. So, and, and this is, you know, what I did in that situation is I started looking, but I was also strategic. I didn't just jump ship. I was looking for, okay, if I'm going to leave this situation, I'm not going to jump into another situation that's just like it. I'm going to be really mindful of what do I want? What am I looking for? What are the things that are non-negotiables for me? So that when I was going into that process, I could really be um, looking for very specific things that I wanted in an employer. And part of that for me was the ability to focus on things outside of work, which I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to do before. Yeah, absolutely. It's important to have that balance, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I found a question for you has to do with what's your why in life? And when you look at your personal and professional legacy. How do you want that to be defined? My personal mission is to help others recognize and achieve their highest potential. And I think that means something different for everyone. At the end of the day, I want people to feel like they live a joyful, happy life, that they feel like they're in alignment with what's most important to them that they're able to focus on the goals and dreams that they have for their life, whatever they may be. That's different for every single person. Um, I want to be remembered as someone who played full out. <laughs> I was an athlete in high school, so I want to be remembered as someone who who really did, um, you know, even if I don't achieve every single one of my goals, I want to be known as someone who was always striving to grow, striving to get better, striving to um, expand who, I'm, who I am and my impact on the world while I'm here. Um, I think that I, you know, as a mom, I want to raise children to value humanity above all. Um, I want my kids to treat others with love and respect and appropriate boundaries. Like we are, you know, that we are learning how to set boundaries, um, appropriately, but you know, and, and, and it is, it's fun to see that coming to life with my kids when, when they see different situations around, social justice and having conversations around that. So, you know, I, that, that is really important to me. Um, and then I want people to say that their life was better because they met me and whatever that means for them. But, um, I want to leave people better than I found them. Yeah, absolutely. Life is all about paying it forward, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And think about how great the world would be if we all just did that. And I know I'm not perfect. Like, I, I know I have my days. But, you know, how great would the world be if we all had that approach? Well, I mean, creating bridges, bridges of unity is a, whole, a lot more fun than trying, trying to separate us, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And Sheena, tell me, if people want to get connected with it, what's that to do? What's 
the best way that they can get linked up with you. Yeah, I'd say the best place is LinkedIn. So Sheena Lance Nold on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I would say I'm most active. And then in terms of coaching or consulting inquiries, it's SLN coaching and consulting at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, Sheena, I have to tell you, you're my last interview for the week. So I want to thank you for a wide ranging and broad conversation about workplace uh, diversification, uh, uh, work-life balance goals, and everything in between. Your work in the space and time on my behalf is most appreciated. I want to wish you a good long weekend, and I want to thank you for engaging in conversation. It's most appreciated. Thanks for having me, Kevin.